Welcome to the Learning Can't Wait podcast, a Full Mind production. At Full Mind, our vision is to ensure every child has access to an exceptional education. Each episode, we will be joined by pathfinders within and around the education space who are bringing about transformational change on behalf of deserving students. I am your host, Haley Spearbauer. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Mamie Hofstetter, the president of Relay of Relay Graduate School of Education. Mamie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Haley. I'm really glad to be here with you. I'm so excited to talk to you for a lot of reasons. One, we've run in a ton of similar circles in education over the past few years, but we have never met until talking about this podcast after meeting in San, sunny San Diego at ASU GSV last year. But two, I'm really excited because anybody that wants to nerd out about how we get more teachers in the classroom is somebody I want to be in the same room with. So thank you so much for joining. Of course. Glad to be here and uh, excited to talk uh, about inspiring this next generation of teachers to, to join the world's greatest profession. Something you know a little bit about. So why don't we jump right in? Mimi, why don't you tell everybody, how did you come to be the personal and professional version of yourself? Mm, I appreciate that question. So right out of college, I taught at Deerfield Academy. And I didn't know that I was going to become a teacher, but I did some tutoring in college and I just loved it. And I'd always been a camp counselor and a babysitter before that. And the combination of being with kids and teaching kids about something I was passionate about, um, that that really got me. So right from college, I went to Deerfield Academy, boarding school in Western Massachusetts, um, and it was a great way to start a teaching career. I had a fantastic mentor, Mark Scandling. He would, I would get to observe his class first thing in the morning. Then he would come observe my class and give me notes. And then I'd get to teach my own class without anybody watching in the afternoon. And it was great. It was the definition of gradual release with, um, you know, an absolute master teacher uh, guiding my guiding my path. Um, and so I taught at Deerfield for a few years and I loved it. And I thought, oh, I'm really, really going to be a teacher. Um, and I wanted to move to New York. And I had a couple students at Deerfield who'd gone to Kip Academy in the Bronx. And they said, Hostetter, because that's what they called me back then. Hostetter, you got to go teach at our school. So I went to visit their school. And I said, you're right. I do have to teach at your school. That place is awesome. Um, and uh, because I'm coming from a boarding school and they are hiring mostly public school teachers or folks who've done Teach for America, um, I don't think they're going to hire me. So the kids uh, called up Dave Levin, who was then the principal at Kip Academy in the Bronx, and they said, you have to hire our teacher, Ms. Hostetter, to come work at Kip. And uh, to date, that's uh, the best and only form of nepotism I think I've I've engaged in in my career. The kids got me my job at KIPP Academy, and it was great. I taught at KIPP for several years, had a lot of student teachers in my classroom, realized I was going to go pro in this uh, teaching thing, so I should probably go get a degree in it. I went back to school, got my master's, and as I was finishing up a year doing reading development research, tagged on to the end of my master's, Dave called me back up again and said, hey, I'm part of a group that's trying to start a new teacher preparation program here in New York. We want it to be really practice-based, like what you were doing in your classroom with student teachers at KIPP. 
you know, would you consider applying to help us start it? So that's what I did. I applied and I became, along with my good friend and lifelong colleague, Brent Madden, we were the directors of teaching and learning at what was then called Teacher U. And what now, 15 years later, is Relay Graduate School of Education. We had 30 students in our first cohort there at Teacher U, and we have now thousands of teachers in this year's incoming class and uh, thousands of school leaders in our professional ed programs as well. So it's been um, just a really invigorating, enjoyable, purpose-filled ride. And I'll tell you, Haley, one of the most fun parts of it now, um, 25 years into my career in education is that I've now had over 20 of my former students from Deerfield and KIPP come to Relay to earn their certification and master's and become become teachers. So that that full circle piece has been so rewarding, especially these last few years. I don't even know where to go from here. That introduction of your history as personally and professionally is incredible. First of all, you definitely just gave me the title of this episode when you said going pro at this thing. I, that is absolutely. <laughs> Going pro at teaching could be the title when it comes out. <laughs> Everybody who's listening now will already know this is a spoiler, but not a spoiler for them, but a spoiler for us. But wow, Mimi, I I so appreciate how you described your arc and the full, full circle nature of your involvement with your students. The story that they called Dave Levin and told him to hire you. Like, wow. It's that's the amazing. best. It was it was um, a woman named Alexis Rosado in particular who picked up the phone and called Dave and was like, you got to hire Miss Hofstetter. And she, she really got me my job. So, you know, we talk about um, the importance of kids' perceptions of their teachers, you know, like whatever it was, 15 years ago, the Gates Foundation Measure of Effective Teaching Study found that it was kids' perspectives on their teachers that was the most predictive, most predictive measure of the same kids' academic performance, right? Like what kids think really matters. And obviously in this particular example, it mattered because it got me my next job. <laughs> but the perceptions of our students, they they see it all and they know um, when there's a great teacher in front of their classroom. And uh, I think, you know, if, if there's, there are lots of uh, things I've learned in my career, lots of themes to my career, but listening to the kids because the kids know is, is a major lesson, a major theme of my career. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more. And I think the examples you've given here have hopefully convinced folks that are listening, if they weren't in huge agreement before that, it is so imperative that we are listening to the voices of our students. You know, maybe you're talking about a time in New York for folks that are listening that are not from New York or not familiar with the charter movement. You're talking about really the heyday of the charter movement in the U.S., which is the epicenter at the time was really New York. Dave Levin, Kip, that was a real foundational piece in the growth and expansion of charter schools. What was it like to be teaching at Kip Academy at that time? What was the energy? What was the direction? What was the vision? And how do you think that's changed now, some years later, looking back? Yeah, it's a great question. I, um, you know, it was so early in the broader charter movement that I would say it wasn't even yet a movement, right? And I think that, um, when I look back on that time, we weren't talking about like, oh, this is a charter school and this means that, that, that means this. We were talking about, um, you know, how do we ensure that we're 
teaching and leading a great school for our students. Um, and I know the charter movement came to mean more and galvanize more and uh, conflict with more and all, all sorts of winding things from there. But in those very early days, it was just about building and teaching a, a great school. Um, and, you know, when Relay came to be 15 years ago, that I would say was at the more at the height of the broader charter movement when that became a much more prevalent point of conversation and so on and so forth. But the thing that really drew me to Relay at that point, it was Teacher U. I remember in my interview um, for that job to be the director of teaching and learning, they had a growth curve laid out and it showed that we would start in New York serving mostly um, charter school teachers in our first year or two, but that over the next 10 years, we'd grow to serve 10,000 teachers, 90% uh, of those teachers working in public district schools. And that was really inspiring for me because by that time uh, I was and remain a deep believer in there is no single solution to getting uh, all kids, great schools and great teachers. You need all kinds of solutions and supports. And so some of that's going to happen in the charter sector. And most of that's going to happen in the public district sector, because that's where most kids go to school uh, then, now, and probably for uh, the long foreseeable future. So making sure that we were setting up from the very beginning to serve kids and teachers in all kinds of schools that was um, that was a crucial part of bringing me to the job, and that's a very crucial part of what defines Relay to this day. It boggles my mind a bit because it's pretty ubiquitous today when you speak to people that are still doing the work and, and really talking about teacher prep and teachers, the teacher shortage, and even working in and around schools themselves in ed tech, uh, that Every fifth person has has had experience working with or going to Relay. In, in my experience, I just feel like when I talk, I to love it, that. I hope that's true. <laughs> it feels that way to me, and maybe it's just my circles that I run in. Uh, but I I was there when Teacher U was founded. I was I actually was the last cohort of Teach for America New York that didn't graduate from Teacher U, um, and I remember being a little bit jealous, to be honest, that mm -hmm. brand new teacher preparatory program was being introduced to the core um, and say what you will about Teach for America and the preparation it provided at the time that I went to the core for teachers. I think that's been well-documented in the media and as well by Teach for America themselves. But T Teacher U, now Relay, really offered something different. So I would love to talk about what that difference was and what it remains today um, as it relates to the greater landscape of preparing humans to teach little humans. Like that's a big ask. It's a big task. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the, the defining element and at the time a relatively unique element of what was then Teacher U, what was now, what's now Relay is our practice focused approach to teacher preparation, right? Giving our students, our graduate students, folks who are in their first or second year as teachers, opportunities in their relay classes to stand up in front of their peers with their professor at their side, try teaching this part of the lesson, try on this skill of checking for understanding, try on that skill of um, of a document-based discussion in history class and get feedback from your colleagues and your professors, try it again, do it better so that you are having an opportunity to practice 
what really works in the classroom in a lower stakes environment before you then go do it in your classroom where every moment really matters. And I think that that practice-based approach um, was part of what people found really impactful about even those first couple cohorts at Relay. And I think it is really our calling card in teacher prep much more, much more broadly now. Calling card. I love that. Doesn't say it on your actual business card. <laughs> <laughs> it should. We do have um we do have uh our relay motto is learn, practice, grow. Um and I do that. think that yeah, that that practice as the linchpin between learning and growing, it it really resonates with me. It resonates with me professionally. The, the way I got better as a young teacher was to get immediate feedback from my mentor, Mark Scandling, after my first period class so that I could do it better in my next period class. Um, the way, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an athlete, not as agile now as I used to be, but the practice with immediate feedback model of... Um, learning and growing as an athlete is just ingrained in all of us. And, and I think it really applies to, to so many professions, but particularly to teaching. I, I really struggle when I learn something new, if I can't practice it as an adult, I actually talk a lot about this uh, kind of on LinkedIn, which is like learning new things at this age for me is really challenging. I feel like my brain is really saturated. I have, you know, little ones running around the house that I'm constantly marinating on what I have to do to get them ready for the next moment in their life. Um, and so I feel like my brain hasn't really got the space to to learn new things, but the best way for me to do it is exactly the model you're naming. Like I have to watch somebody, I have to try it, I get feedback, and I have to do it again. Like it is, I, yeah, it, even as a, as a grown adult that I don't, you know, I, I have to practice in order for me to like really solidify information in my brain. Yeah, agreed. And I think this has been the norm for a long time in other professions, right? As you're becoming a lawyer, there's there's mock court or moot court lawyers out there. Don't don't be mad. I don't know about lawyering, but I know that's I know that's part I know that's part of the training. Uh, doctors um, are participating in simulations in medical school. They're getting to watch uh, their 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 elders, if you will, on the wards before they're in charge. They're getting immediate feedback from fellows when they're residents, from full-fledged doctors when they're fellows. Like this is part of how professionals become excellent. Um, and yet it just um it hasn't been as prevalent in teacher prep as uh as as we would want it to be, and as it is certainly at relay. You know, I have to tell you, I, I don't often do this, but this is such a, a perfect connection. I need to, we, we uh, entertain me sharing one thing real quick about what some Please. work all mine's doing. Denver Public Schools Acceleration Academy is an after-school program that has power professionals doing high dosage tutoring with students who are academically struggling or have struggled in the historic uh, past two years on performance exams. Um, but they're being coached by uh, state certified teachers provided by full mind for the entire yeah. year. So it's a yeah. model of teach practice, uh, cognitive coaching, teach again, and it's four yep. days a week and it's every day with the coaches present every single class period that the power professionals are tutoring. And I feel like I tell everybody using a, a sports analogy here, it feels like we're, we're playing defense and offense at the same time. Mm -hmm. because supporting the kids where they need them with the power of professionals providing high dosage tutoring and you're playing offense, hoping to grow the teacher pipeline. So I want to use that little anecdote as a segue to talk about the teacher pipeline. Yep. If, we, if you read the news, which I imagine you do, there's a <laughs> lot of chatter about teacher shortages. How have you seen this in your neck of the woods with Relay? 
Um, and, and what do you think generally about the, the crisis that, that we have on hand? Yeah, it's, it's an enormous problem and it's impacting the whole field, right? I'm uh, just talking to a friend who leads a big, um, big school district nearby here and the school year has started and they're still 120 teachers short of being fully, um, fully, fully staffed. And that, you know, th- I could I could give that anecdote for thousands of the 14,000 school districts in our country. And I think Haley there there are a bunch of challenges. Um right the the interest in joining the teaching profession has de- been declining for years, 10, 12, 15 years depending on the data set you're looking at, but um it's been on the it's been on the downslope for a long time now. And then of course the pandemic, um, for all sorts of reasons that we don't have time to go into, made teaching look, I think, in large part like a less attractive job. And then finally, you know, teachers pay, and this this has been the piece that I have seen in the news most, right? But teachers pay hasn't adjusted um, in any way, shape, or form for the last many, many decades. So folks who would have been teachers a generation ago, like me, for example, just have more options and they're more conscious of the conditions and they're more conscious of the compensation. And uh, there just hasn't been enough ecosystem change adjusting to the to the new realities. So when we take that big picture view and we distill it down to you know, one teacher prep program, Relay Graduate School of Education, we're, we're impacted by all those those big trends too, right? We've seen for the last couple of years, uh, some incremental declines in enrollment, which we'd never seen previously um, for the decade prior. Um, And we're starting to think much more um, aspirationally about what role we can play in inspiring the next generation of teachers to join the profession. Um, And that is, you know, big picture, uh, borderline flights of fancy, like how do we work with other folks to get awesome ads about teaching in the subways and on the, on the, on the, on the, on the screens in our lives? How do we collaborate with other teacher pipelines, teacher prep programs um, to take a collaborative approach to reinvigorating, re-inspiring folks to join the profession? And then how do we take, um, advantage of the the big uh, tech leaps forward to um, make preparation um, and the the early stages of being a teacher much more interesting, much more exciting uh, for this this generation of of teachers. So I think there are lots of lots of possibilities um, and lots of uh, things we are and can be doing to inspire this next generation, but there's there's no doubt that right now we're in um, a very challenging moment for the profession. I don't want to grasp onto the shiniest thing you said, but I have to ask the question. Yeah. You named uh, the the role of current technologies and how that may impact people wanting to enter the profession. Has, has Relay for this upcoming year integrated any AI machine learning content into the curriculum for their, for their current students? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, you know, like I was saying before, our, our thing has always been, and I hope will always be, a practice-focused approach to teacher prep. Um, And that, through the years, has pushed us to think more creatively and more innovatively about how you get folks more opportunities to practice, more opportunities for feedback. So in the early years, innovation at Relay looked like, oh, 
there's these things called flip video cameras. We're going to give you all one. You're going to video yourselves in your classroom. You're going to share that video with your professor. You're going to get feedback on that video. You're going to share a little video with a colleague. They're going to give you feedback. So that that was our first foray into what I would call innovation, the flip video cameras. And then, of course, everybody got uh, a phone that had a camera in it. And so it still is very much a part of our program, our Teacher candidates are filming themselves all the time and uh, submitting that to Relay and getting feedback from their professors and colleagues. So this next leap forward um, is certainly for us going to entail um, the use of AI and the use of simulations to get teachers even more opportunities to practice and get feedback. Um, I'll give just a couple examples because there are a bunch of pilots that we have in the work right now, but a couple that I'm really excited about. The folks at TeachFX have a really cool AI-based um, platform that um, effectively is doing what our cameras of the past would do, right? It's, it's, it's taping class, but uh, it's taping just the audio, and then it gives you as a teacher really great feedback at the end of the class. What percentage of time were you talking? What percentage of time were your students talking? How much of that student-based interaction was ping pong, like teacher to student, teacher to student, teacher to student? How much of it was volleyball, like teacher, student, 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 teacher? Um, all sorts of really interesting insights that um, Receptive AI is helping teachers to get at the end of every classroom. So we're excited about that pilot and the possibilities. Um, we're also working on a couple different lanes with uh, some some folks, one one lane with a couple professors at uh, UPenn uh, Wharton School of Business, Ethan and Leela Kamalik. Uh, we're trying to build a little prototype of a teaching simulator with them. The Maliks have been building awesome simulations for business school students for years, right? Like negotiation simulator and pitch your idea to the venture capitalist investor simulator. And so they are deeply invested in great teaching and are working with us to build, uh, along with Lacey Robinson at Unbound Ed, to build a little prototype of a teaching simulator. So I think there are a lot of possibilities. And right now, Haley, it's about piloting a few um, really promising ones, getting feedback from our teachers themselves, our faculty who pilot these in their classrooms and, and seeing where it goes. But it's an exciting time, particularly when you keep this North Star of practice-based teacher prep in mind. I think there's a lot of tech now that can really, really enhance that and give even more teachers access to really get great uh, practice and feedback opportunities. I would have loved that. I still would love that. That's such a great utilization of technology. I have a friend who's a doctor who uses simulations for all of their work, even just talking to yep. patients, which is essentially what you're talking about. Like, how do you have totally. good bedside care, convey information clearly, check for understanding? That's exactly what teachers have to do on a regular basis. Um, 100%. And I got to use TeachFX. I taught a little bit this summer in... Um, our Hollyhock Fellowship for the Humanities, which is a year-long fellowship for experienced humanities teachers here in New York. And so I, I taught a class uh, with our fellows this summer. It was really fun, uh, focused on James Baldwin and uh, close reading. And I used TeachFX. And it was great feedback that I got at the end of teaching teaching that class. I had sort of the same thought that you did of like, gosh, I'm going to use this in a lot of different places and ways. Running a meeting, right? Like how much am I talking versus others? But um but yeah, there's a lot of really exciting opportunity on the, the tech front right now, especially for enhancing practice. You know, you've been outspoken, uh, as I did my research prior to meeting with you today, about talking about the importance of diversity in the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How has that 
work and that focus for both you as a leader and the organization that you lead been executed and how, what, how, where have you seen the greatest amount of success in diversity recruitment of diverse types of teachers for diverse students? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, as you know, Haley, we have a, we have a huge representation gap in teaching, right? The majority of kids in K-12 public schools in the United States are kids of color. And yet, you know, it's it's a very low percentage of of teachers depending on the data set you're looking at we're talking 20 15 10% of teachers identifying as as people of color um and that's 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 a big opportunity gap that's a big representation gap so i would say it was probably at this point 7 or 8 years ago that we set out very intentionally at relay to not just recruit, but to retain and support and inspire a next generation of teachers of color to join the profession, stay in the profession, lead in the profession, and really thrive in the profession. And so at this point, um, our incoming class at Relay will be um, about 70% teachers of color. And our leadership programs participants uh, are close to 60%. Um, leaders of color, which is very, very different than what you see um, in the profession writ large, but also, unfortunately, in the um, demographics of teacher prep and leader prep broadly. Ours is still a far more diverse program than what you're what you're seeing in most places. And I think Haley, it's been it's been a few things um, that have allowed us to to move in that direction. One is just a deep seated institutional belief in the importance of professional representation and the importance of kids of color having access to teachers and leaders of color from kindergarten on through high school to naming very explicitly that this is a goal of ours that we are driving towards um, and why this goal matters uh, for kids' experiences in schools, for kids' outcomes from school. Um, And then three, a bunch of really intentional a bunch of really intentional shifts on our part. Number one, um, I think if you want to recruit and inspire a next generation of teachers of color, you need to have faculty members of color. Uh, In the same way that you're talking about kids being able to see themselves in their teachers, you need to have young teachers being able to see themselves in their their teacher prep faculty. So our, our faculty for both our teaching programs and our leadership programs, majority, majority um, people of color. Second, um, you need to make sure that your program is aligned with your mission and values. And so we have gone through a very concerted effort over the last really four years to shift from what we've called, uh, what internally we call our Relay 1.0 programs to now our Relay 2.0 programs. And this year's teacher prep class, everybody uh, has come into our Relay 2.0 programs. And those programs um, really put culturally responsive and inclusive practices at the heart of what everyone is learning, whether you're teaching kindergarten or calculus. Um, Culturally responsive and inclusive practices are a a major through line of your Relay experience. So I could go on about this for a long time. I think it's just such a crucial shift um, that the entire profession, the entire field needs to make towards a more diverse group of teachers and leaders. Um, But those are some of the things that that we believe and have committed to and have have done at Relay to, uh, to practice what we preach. 
I appreciate you sharing that. We have um, quite a few listeners that are school leaders, and these are topics topics important to them. So I appreciate both the philosophical understanding and belief, and then also the practical of how you've implemented this. Um, last season, we had a an episode with Dr. Baron Davis, uh, former superintendent of Richland Two School District in South Carolina, and we talked about like when they were recruiting teachers for their community, the difference between pro- like skills that teachers had and beliefs. And mm-hmm. I think a little bit of what you're saying here that your your team had to believe it to be true first, like even as a professional learning community, that it was important for children to see themselves represented in the teachers and school leaders before them. Um, and it is it has become so political today that it probably feels very daunting for school leaders in certain parts of the country to be able to instill these beliefs, communicate these beliefs, and practice these beliefs. And so, I'm grateful for communities like Relay that are training uh, large throngs of teachers to deploy across the United States who are being, you know, taught with culture responsive and inclusive practices in the classrooms they're learning because I think that that's the best way. It's almost like a grassroots bottom-up approach to ensuring our schools are more welcoming to all students. Yep, that's certainly part of the goal. So I I am sad to come upon our last question, but it feels like a perfect time given what we've just discussed. And so I want to ask you, Mimi, if you are giving advice to a teacher just starting their career today, what advice would you give them? Oh, I love this question. Um, I just, before our conversation, Haley, I just got off the phone with uh, someone who I taught when she was in eighth grade and she's now, I don't know, date myself, but 30 plus. Uh, and she was like, Miss Hostetter, she still calls me Miss Hostetter. I'm like, you can call me maybe. She's like, no, no, you're Miss Hostetter. Uh, you gave me the best advice when I was starting my career. And I was like, oh, what was that? And uh, she said, you told me, be who you are and find a school where you can be, uh, be who you are. And she's, she's, she's gone on to, to lots of things in her career, but I was like, oh, that is good advice. <laughs> be, be who you are and find a school or, and I think it translates to other, to other professions as well. Find a place, find a profession where you can be, where you can be who you are. Um, and I think I'll extrapolate out from that, Haley. I think, um, a piece of advice that I often give to folks who, you know, have come to Relay, have graduated from Relay and are in that, you know, third, fourth, fifth year of teaching. And they're thinking, oh, I don't know, is this for me long haul? Am I going to go pro as a teacher? And my advice to them is always teach at one other school before you decide whether or not you're going to go pro. Um, A, you'll learn a lot more about teaching because just switching schools, switching communities, uh, trying this profession in a new place is is going to teach you a lot. And B, um, I often find that folks are in that, mm, is this for me or not? They just haven't quite found the place that lets them be who they are as a teacher. And I think to be truly great at anything, you have to be who you are in that profession. I have so many chills. That's such, I, that's so profound. Mimi, thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom and all of the experiences you've had. I know 30 minutes isn't enough to encapsulate um, many, many, many more stories and pieces of advice, but I've been so grateful for your time here today on the Learning Can't Wait podcast. 
Yeah, Haley, thank you for the opportunity. It was great to be with you. A total privilege to be on the Learning Can't Wait podcast. And I uh, just uh, thank you so much. And thank you to everybody who's tuned in today. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the Learning Can't Wait podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Be the first to know when we have a new episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a suggestion for an episode, email us at podcast at fullmindlearning.com.